welcome to episode 129 of Friends of Film, a podcast for latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Creed 2's new trailer, the hysteria over Star Wars spinoffs, and more after review Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who wishes he had as good of wordplay as Waj at ESPN, Josh Straley. Oh man, yeah, that had the whole thesaurus out, and ev- or thesaurus, not thesaurus, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Jurassic World on the mind. But um, the dude was everywhere yeah they're lasered in on they <laughs> can't pass up it's, it's, it was incredible tantalized by yes that was, that uh, was, was maybe my favorite what a stupid rule for them to put on him the dude is the best reporter in the league and you're like don't actually do any reporting because or else no one will watch art it's so kind it's of so but at the same time it'd be like if you know when you know when i saw jurassic world the other day Jurassic mm-hmm. world Fallen kingdom if i had like if i was tweeting live but I was two minutes ahead of the audience and my tweets were popping up on the screen. It'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, mm. you know what's coming. Right. But <laughs> I get it. It's literally his job to, you know, find this stuff out for yeah. us. And then they're like, no, don't ruin the experience of the draft. Yeah, and, and, then, like, and then his uh, his arch nemesis, Mark Spears, kind of broke that mm-hmm. kind of rule first. He's just like, all right, screw it. I'm going all yeah. in. Nope. And it's just, it's systematic of the problem that I have at ESPN, that they're all about ratings and not yeah. sports journalism. No, except, outside, except for outside the lines and Seth Wickersham. He is, he's one of the greats. Okay. But well, Hey, we're everyone, not here to talk about the NBA draft. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're here to review movies and you can get all of our latest updates about them on Facebook and Twitter at friends and film. And be sure to check out the rest of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and coming soon to Google podcasts. Whoa. Working on it. Okay. Um, and breaking news. Exactly. But if you can, though, in the meantime, on iTunes, if you could rate and review us, it really helps. Yeah, because if you do that on special occasions, I mean, do it when you feel like it, because that would just be nice for us. But we will also prompt you on certain occasions to do so, as we did two weeks ago to win a digital copy of Red Sparrow, the uh, Joel Edgerton, Jennifer Lawrence thriller, espionage, uh, Cold War set spy movie. And we're happy to announce that that winner for writing and leaving a review for us on iTunes is at Ragin underscore Cajun 2. Congrats. So congratulations to you, Ragin Cajun. Uh, DM us, and we will give you that code as soon as you reach out to us. If we don't hear from you for a couple of days, we will then, I guess, check and reach out to you. So. Yes, make sure you're still kicking. But hopefully you're still listening because your review said you enjoyed it. So we will <laughs> see. Um, but before we get into our Jurassic World review... Uh, we also have a website, friendsoffilm.wordpress.com, where you guys will see written reviews from us. Josh did the written review for Jurassic World, so he's going to kick us off here in a second. But he also did one for a Netflix rom-com, Set It Up. Oh, yeah. Um, it came out last Friday. Okay. And I just got around to getting it up there, or getting it written. Um, it stars Zoe Dutch and Glenn Powell. Uh, Two of my faves. Y- you like Glenn Powell? Yeah. What has he been in? Everybody wants some. The movie I've been telling you to watch forever. Uh, okay, well... Uh, he- <laughs> Is he good in it? Yeah. All right. Well, here he's... Him and Blake Jenner. Apparently, you hate both of them. I don't hate Blake Jenner. I just don't think he's that great. Oh, my gosh. The blue eyes don't do it for me. But anyway, <laughs> um, here he's fine. It, it kind of seems like he's sleepwalking through uh-huh. most of the movie, and it's really Zoe Dutch doing all the work. She's charming, fun, energetic, enthusiastic. Um, her story is just much more interesting mm-hmm. than his. Um, She's and, awesome. Everybody wants some, by the way. Is she really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. more reason to check it out. 
Maybe that's how they wound up in the project together. But it's it's enjoyable. It's predictable to an extent, yeah. um, as all rom-coms are. But at the end of the day, uh, there's a couple subversions and some really sweet moments and, you know, all too relatable uh, pizza related gags that you know just you know make it for me okay uh that's definitely on my list to check out for netflix but we're here to talk about jurassic world fallen yes. kingdom the sequel to the uh record breaking record setting and now losing the records to force awakens who also then did infinity war jurassic world right. in 2015 directed by colin trevorrow this yes. one is jay bayona is mm-hmm. taking over based on the script from colin trevorrow what did you think of this sequel this is a great sequel to Jurassic World. Let's put that up there up front. Okay. Okay. It's a little more inspired. It's actually a lot more inspired um, in a lot of ways. It's creative with the moves that it makes. It's awesome to see them kind of go all in, go 110% on dinosaurs there's the practicals um the, the, the animatronics the puppeteered ones mm-hmm. and it's much much more tactile and fun in that respects um there's justice smith and uh daniela Pineda, mm-hmm. who are kind of like the the kids of the movie if you will sort of like the unexperienced with dinosaurs jurassic park you know yeah token characters and they are fun as ever justice smith is hilarious um you know watching him sort of be the fish out of water on the island freaking out again you know all about everything even including like the brachiosaurus and the herbivores mm-hmm. are just like so not here for this is great him and pratt have a good rapport back and forth um but the movie as a whole is kind of a mixed bag okay you want to take it by itself and that's because there's these two there's these two acts and there's the island isla nubar where the park is where the park is where the dinosaurs are and they have to basically go get the dinosaurs and bring them and save them from the the volcano and the volcano is just the i want to say it's the worst part of the movie what yes because it's it's almost like crossing a disaster movie with dinosaurs for full effect. Does that sound awesome? It's no, uh, not oh not gosh. to me. Okay. Because it's every ten seconds it seems like someone's looking over their shoulder, like a volcano's gonna blow. Oh boy, we better hurry. And then you know it goes on for the, for thirty five forty minutes. I'm yeah, like, is the volcano gonna blow anytime soon? And then predictably, yes, it blows. You get the awesome it's an awesome scene of the tyrannosaurus rex roaring in victory over the cretiosaur and then you know a wave of ash descends upon everybody and then it ends Mm -hmm. so it's it's cool but it was just so annoying um there's a moment with chris pratt you know evading lava that i was just kind of like i was wanted to bang my head that's the worst part of the movie yeah it is so dumb um, it felt like it felt like a whole different movie, mm-hmm. um, but once you get off the island, once you have your heart broken with this lasting image of a brachiosaur just <sighs> wailing out, you know, um, someone on Twitter said, "Now I understand how people felt when Luke Skywalker <laughs> was taken <laughs> away." That was that was devastating because it's the first dinosaur you ever see mm-hmm. on that island. Going back to Jurassic Park, 
and then it just kind of be the last one there yeah. oh gave me a shiver um and i was really upset and sad but then once we get to this the mansion kind of where our big bad or not really big bad but our conniving um villain rafe small mm-hmm. is collecting the dinosaurs and running a an auction house yeah. for uh, Jurassic Park memorabilia, the ultimate Jurassic Park memorabilia uh, that Jake Johnson's character would just be in awe of. That's where it gets fun. The mansion is like this gothic horror house where once predictably dinosaurs get loose again, mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes like, you know, a really like, you know, dark and slow horror movie in a lot of ways. And J.A. Bayona is perfect for that. His, I mean, he throws these shadows everywhere. The, um, the, the new dinosaur for the movie, the Indoraptor, yep. stalking the halls with its creepy, almost hand-like claws mm-hmm. and, I don't know, jet black scales, as well as some very scientifically accurate feathers down okay. the back spine. I noted that um, it's it's awesome. Most of it, all of it, is practical, layered with CG. Sweet, um, and throughout that entire romp through the lab, the house, and everything like that, it's super fun. I mean, watching millionaires get trampled by a pachyosaurus in the in the auction house was that was pretty cathartic. So that's where it's great. It's terrific in there, but I just. I couldn't escape the feeling that it was re- it's just a really contrived plot mm-hmm. still even to this day. And you know, Toby Jones makes a I have this in my review and I am trying to figure out how to say it best, but Toby Jones makes this like statement, this really bold thing as the Indoraptor gets rolled out and he's like the future made from the past. And I was like, "Oh, okay, now it's going to kind of make jokes about how it's the sequel, the fifth sequel to a movie that nobody the you know, fourth really sequel wanted. to him, yeah. Yes, to a movie everyone thought was perfect yeah. and will never be lived up to, which is true. And no, it's just said in like a really self-serious way. Like there's no poking fun at it like Jurassic World did. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason Jurassic World I think is so good is because it was so aware that we're like, yeah, we get it. It's a blatant cash grab. So we'll, Or not blatant, but it's a cash grab in a lot of ways. So yeah. we'll make fun of it that way. Um, and then they didn't really do that. And then there was a moment where it's like, okay, with Bryce Dallas Howard, who is terrific in this movie um as well as chris pratt but he's mostly the same and you could probably confuse him for star lord if you're not paying too (laughs) close attention uh but she says like do you remember the first time you saw a dinosaur and like oh that's a really good thing because then i'm immediately evoking the first time i've seen jurassic park but then as as soon as she says it and finishes that line it's just back to the shenanigans of you know dinosaurs on the loose and there's just no real big substantive meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm asking too much from a, a blockbuster <laughs> movie. But overall, I enjoyed my time in the theater both times. The first time critically, the second time where I just let myself kind of have fun with it. Yeah. And I was there for it. So as a whole, it's not terrible. It's better than Jurassic World as a movie. So I'm going to give it four Ticket stubs out of five. Okay. Then I will move on by just starting off by saying Kylo Ren would love this movie. He would love this he movie? He would love this movie because 
he says in the last Jedi, let the past die, kill it if you have to. Yeah. And I feel like that is exactly what Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom wanted to do. It okay. wanted it wanted to destroy everything that it could for the most part that ties itself to everything that came before it, yeah. but still leaving it open to make a third movie, maybe four or five, six, whatever they end up doing down the road. Quite literally, yeah. <laughs> that there's like, no, it's the new bar, you're gone. Uh, main characters, gone. Like, well, not main characters, but like ties to the original kind of movies, like doesn't really matter. It's all about these new characters and where this franchise is going forward instead of looking back. Um, and I think Jay Bayona in retrospect was the possibly the perfect choice to direct this movie um i i I don't think it would have been the same if colin trevorrow had stayed on and done this like if he didn't take episode nine Mm -hmm. and then obviously leave that project now he's going to do the third movie uh if he had directed this i think we would have had the same movie because it's his script but i don't think it would have been as well executed because i think jay bayona's eye as a director his mm. style really shines, whether it is in the Gothic mansion stuff uh, or for me, which is the reason why I loved that first 45 minutes or at least the stuff that was mainly on the island, whether it was the opening underwater sequence, which is really cool and fun. That's right. Or once we actually, the main group of characters, are they stop lollygagging around, they actually get to the island. Uh, it invoked the, his vibes from The Impossible, his, uh, his tsunami disaster movie mm. with Tom Holland and Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. And it, was it was really great and it was there was, it was there was thrills there was action um there was actual stakes it was like okay well, like our heroes have to survive but we also kind of want these animals to survive at the same time yeah and then it ends with that shot of the dinosaur and you're just like oh and there's actual heart there and it, it kind of surprised me that i was actually like feeling something for this dinosaur that was dying mm-hmm. uh even though the overall movie sends a lot of mixed messages of whether or not we should actually want these dinosaurs to be alive or not um eh, well i think it, i mean it pretty pretty well says like hey you should care yes but then like what the dinosaurs actually do is just like wait why do people want them to be alive we, oh, we as can, they we go can, about eating yeah everyone. we can get into it more in spoilers i guess but okay. um i really liked bryce dallas howard in this movie too um I feel like she is the only character that actually gets an arc throughout these first two movies where she starts off just as like the corporate person, like running Jurassic world. Yeah. They're kind of exactly. And now she's trying to save them. It's a bit like cliche or it's a bit too easy of a turn for her because we just, we don't see any of that progression really. It's more of just like a, Hey, that'd be better for a character if she actually cared. Mm -hmm. So she does and fine. And I think, Howard actually gives a pretty good performance in it too. It's not just like the, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help kind of thing that she does in dress in the first Jurassic world. Oh, she yeah. actually like has Quite literally, yeah. she has like some actual purpose to this. Um, Pratt is, he doesn't get that though. He is just totally underserved. He is just the, Hey, we need a guy to do action scenes. Yeah. And it's just like, okay. It's like, third act comes around. It's like, okay, we've been following Bryce Dallas Howard. We've, this has been Claire's journey. And it's like third act. Well, we need somebody to run around, shoot guns and do stuff. So mm-hmm. now this is Chris Pratt's adventure. And you're like, yeah. why did that switch have to happen? Um, like you mentioned, I think Julia Smith and Danielle, Daniela Panetta, um, they were fine. I didn't really get too much out of either one of them. And both of them are pretty much like each have their sections of being sidelined for most of the movie. Yeah. And to a certain degree, I kind of liked that from Justice Smith because I liked his performance at parts but other times he was borderline annoying right um and i was just like okay 
Okay. Good. Just like get rid of him for yes. a little while. We don't uh, need him screaming every exactly. Minutes, every uh, especially with like that gothic stuff. He would have been there the whole time. Like every like jump scare. And there was an old guy who was sitting next to me that was like, Jay Obiono was getting him every single awesome. time. This guy was just like losing it, uh, which which was a fun thing to experience. Um, you mentioned Rafael Spall as the villain. He's just useless. Um, yeah. Don't get anything out of him. Toby Jones, same thing. Like, what are you doing? Um, comes into the script, which is where like the second act, all the stuff on the boat, I thought really dragged and was boring. Oh, um, that's the wrong answer. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's the right answer. And <laughs> we'll get into mm. it. Um, and, but then like, and then the third act, there are choices made again in the script that I think J.O. Biona does his best to execute. But then it's just like, where are these ideas coming from? Why are you making these choices, these characters sure. that I wasn't on board for? Um, also, if you watch the trailers for this movie, any one of them, <laughs> one mm-hmm. any one of the three, you saw basically the whole movie, uh, which was disappointing. But I don't know if you – it's hard to put that into review other than the fact that we do this podcast. We watch these trailers. We see them in theater before the movies. Mm-hmm. And just like, okay, after that first trailer, I thought I saw the whole movie. And it was like, oh, I just saw the first 45 minutes. And then the second trailer, I was like, oh, now I saw the whole movie. Yeah. And then the third trailer came around. I was like, oh, now I've really seen the whole movie. And – I kind of did. There were still good moments in there along the way. For sure. Um, like there was this really cool like tracking shot, um, like fight scene with Chris Pratt in the auction, which I was like, oh, yes. that yeah. that was impressive. I liked that. And there's like those little moments of style that I thought Bayona was able to bring to, to elevate the source, the material that he was given for this movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a reason why I came out kind of confused about my feelings on it. Cause like there are definitely parts that could have been better about it, but I also think Bayona did a really good job with it. And he made it the best he could, yeah. um, even with Michael Giacchino's score, which I didn't really like. No. It was all over the place. There was only that one cue to their actual Jurassic Park theme, I believe. Yep, and it happens in that yeah, and, Howard and it's scene. Just, and it's just like really slow. And it's like we didn't get – we didn't. there was no – there was a, it was a weird because there was something about it that felt familiar. And it may just because Giacchino does so many Hollywood blockbusters mm-hmm. that like – his Doctor Strange and Star Trek themes are basically identical. And so I don't know which theme it is that he's borrowing from, or maybe it's the actual Jurassic World theme because he scored the first one, right? Uh, he did, yeah. He, or um, he, he did World too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't but know. He if, relied I don't know. a lot more on yeah. Williams's take. There, there, there's like three cues right at the beginning of that movie that are the original John Williams theme. But anyways, I came out enjoying my time watching this mm-hmm. movie. Um. I may go as far as to say it is the best Jurassic Park sequel and going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. Okay. I respect that. Yeah. It's a movie. Like you said, you see everything in the trailers. If you watch the first trailer and the second, you're good to go. You'll, you'll know where the story is heading and how it lays out. Yeah. Uh, But it's something you have to feel. Like you said, that the dude sitting beside you, it was him jumping at the Indoraptor. Yeah. Crawling around that house. Um, and especially, you know, as you watch it climb across the roof and then the camera pans overhead and slides into um, Maisley, the little girl, uh, little mm-hmm. British girl, Maisley Lockwood's room. And you're just like, oh, no, not here for this. The door, <laughs> the window hinge gets the clicks and then finally opens and then you get the, the long, creepy extension hand. So, yeah, um, I had the I was so grateful I was in a packed theater. There was only one showing on Thursday night, mm-hmm. and there was a packed theater full of 
kids of all ages. And they were just like, you know, it was the cheering over the T-Rex coming in and saving the day um, twice. And, you know, like all those things yeah. where you're like, this is a fun movie for kids like, you know, to enjoy. And after seeing it twice, I think I really was able to arrive right where you said too. It's a fun time in the theater, and yeah. which all Jurassic Parks have been. Some more so than others. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have the chance to see anything other than these two movies in actual theaters, so I can't speak to that. But I don't think I would enjoy my time watching Jurassic Park three in a theater more so than I do I now. Um, but let's get into spoilers about yeah, the movie, yes, so we can yes. kind of break it down a little bit more. Um, and you enjoyed the stuff on the boat. I loved it. That was where I was. This that was where I think Jurassic Park's at its best. In so many ways. I said I didn't, Chris Pratt's character wasn't really working for me. It doesn't really work for me Yeah, a lot of the time. On the boat, that's where I think he has his best moment. And it's where he gets to be more Andy from The Office than anybody else. <laughs> and it's as they are, they have this, the, there is this massive animatronic T-Rex head, which I think they use for all the films. Mm-hmm. Or have used in all the films of some sorts. You know, just resting in its cage and they need to take blood from it to use to transfuse with blue who's been wounded mm-hmm. and is bleeding out so him and um and owen and claire climb in there they're um pumping it finding a vein and then pumping it out bryce dallas howard's climbing on top of the head and getting whipped around back and forth I'm like that's cool that's something like you know there's inter- there's human interaction with these things mm-hmm. which is which is like, you know, the reason the first was so fun. It was because they just got up there and like, you know, actually got to like experience it on a personal level. And that was one of those moments. But then the Tyrannosaurus wakes up, mm-hmm. almost bites Owen's head off or just almost bites him in half really. Yeah. And he somersaults out through the mouth, which is a little over the top. As it, was shown in the trailers. <laughs> I took, yeah, I, but I took it. And as he gets out, the the brooding, quippy, Owen kind of like gives way to an earnest Andy. He's like, did you see that? <laughs> that was really awesome. And I was like, yeah, that was awesome. I dig it. Yeah. I mean, and it's not that I didn't enjoy that sequence necessarily. It was more just like, I was just, I just felt like we were all waiting to get to the, to the house. Cause that was ultimately mm-hmm. where the scene was going. And there's not anything that really happens on the boat that actually helps anything that happens in the future. It's just like the characters sitting around trying to keep blue alive which is important and like you know i didn't want blue to die but at the same time it's oh, like yeah it's well sweet. he's not gonna die so true it's it's, it's he's gonna be fine right. <laughs> and so it's like there was no, there was nothing like if they were, if they had found a key to the house or some information about the dinosaurs while on the boat then it'd be like okay fine but the fact that it's just like all right here we are for 20 minutes of the movie I didn't. I didn't think we needed to be that long. If it would have been ten minutes, and they would have cut it down and kind of truncated it all and made it all quick, I think it would have been fine. And we this movie would have sped up, would have moved to look better. But I, I just could have. I could have used that to have been a little bit more energized and actually meaningful for the movie. At the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's a two. It's a it's a slow down. It's a two from a point A to point B moment. Mm-hmm. They don't exactly. Fade in a map and Indiana Jones yeah. them across the screen, <laughs> which is fine. But yeah, I I liked it because it was a well, it was a it was a place for those puppeteers to get to work and have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dug it. I asked this question on Twitter and I wanted to ask it to you. Yes. Who is the lead of the Jurassic World franchise? Um, it's it's Claire, I think. 
I feel that way. Yes. I yeah. feel I feel like it's definitely Claire. The hero is blue. The or you know, but the main character, the focus of this is Claire. She's the first character. She's the continuing. main character. We 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 don't we meet, meet Owen until twenty thirty minutes into Jurassic World. Uh, Thirty five. Same 40. thing happens here. Yep. Um, I think it's very clear that it's her movie, but then I feel like for most people, it's like, oh, it's Chris Pratt's movie. If you have to choose a human lead, like when I did my poll on Twitter, I included Blue and then the T Rex, and people <laughs> are voting for Blue and T Rex more than the humans. Just I think probably out of more uh, of jokes of a joke, sure. but at the same time, that's what people remember more. Like up until two weeks ago, I'd be like, what's uh, what's uh, Chris Pratt's character's name in Jurassic World? I'd be like, I have no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> think I saw it's, someone it's tweet about that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but even in the first film, Chris Pratt does what one thing? Yeah. That's maybe heroic. I mean, he's, he's the tracker, and I feel like he has more purpose in that first movie. He, yeah, he drives. He drives the the bike with yeah. the Raptors to find the the um, Indominus Rex. I think that's. And then he he quickly retreats, mm-hmm. and he's still he's not the one to open the paddock for, and have the T Rex. Yeah. And bringing that into the fight, I feel like that's why people are like if you if you ask for a human lead of these movies, people I think more people would gravitate towards Chris Pratt than Bryce Dallas is because yeah. when you think of the most memorable parts of both these movies, it's Chris Pratt doing some sort of action beat or interacting with the dinosaur or something. It's not mm-hmm. what Claire has been up to all this time. Right. It's these action set pieces that are there to remind you and make you remember about these movies. But I think in, that, in terms of actual character development, in terms of the screen time, I think this is really Claire's uh, franchise. And I want to see that stay true in the third movie, uh, wherever it goes. I want it, I want Bryce Dallas Howard to still be in the main driving yeah. force because um, Pratt has his franchises, and this is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. But this, like, I want to see Bryce Dallas Howard just have her movie yeah. while Chris Pratt does Guardians, Avengers. Cowboy Ninja Viking, uh, whatever else he's doing. Sure, I'm totally there for that. I mean, she's an, she is an A-list actress um, who really does. I mean, she deserves some franchise. It's not like nowhere even near Pratt in a lot of ways. Yeah, and really, she's you know the stand-in for us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like she's someone whose arc is taking her from uh, you know barely passive being passive on the whole thing to involved and informed and you know active and that's kind of like the the thing that the jurassic if there is a theme to jurassic park the jurassic franchise it's be careful with genetics and also conservation and animals and things like that so but i feel like unfortunately i personally at least right now i feel like jurassic world 3 will be more focused on Owen than it will be on Claire. Cause like if this is this dino apocalypse or like they have to track the dinosaurs or whatever, mm-hmm. Owen's skill set is more useful in that area of doing that than Claire's is because we don't really know what she can do outside of the Jurassic realm. Organize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless she's going to head up the recapturing dinosaur movement or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know what she does in the next movie. Trevorrow is co-writing with I mean not that this would matter with a Emily whole Carmichael. Lot, but hopefully, you know, with Trevorrow having a more diverse writing partner <laughs> yeah. um this time around Bryce's uh Claire's story arc mm-hmm. will get kicked up a notch. Yeah, I am happy that it's not Derek Connolly. That's his writing partner, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean um, I don't nothing against him, but I got but like they both Change is good. They co wrote the first two movies. They yeah, they reworked the script from the first. So I I want to see somebody else's take, especially if Trevorrow stays on to direct. I want mm-hmm. 
right. something, somebody else's voice in this. And personally, I'd rather, I, I mean, based on where this is going, I think Bayona would have been a great choice for the third movie. I don't understand why he wouldn't want to do it again, but I'm a little weary on Trevorrow closing this thing out at this point, but that's a time for 2020 <laughs> yes. to discuss. We can get, we can get there. Um, as far as this movie goes, uh, where do you fall on the dinosaur rights movement? Are you team Ian Malcolm? Let them die. This is nature. This is God playing its role again. Or are you with Claire and that they need to be saved? Oh, I would definitely be a part of the dinosaur protection agency or the dinosaur protection group. Sorry. I would be right next to Ian Malcolm. Yeah, no. And it pains me to say this because like, I do love animals, but at the same time, like Malcolm makes the best points. Like, we interfered with the regular laws of nature and brought these things back. Nature's taking its course again. It's going to wipe them out. We shouldn't interfere with this, especially because anytime these humans are near them, they're like running away. They're dying. There's no good that comes out of having the dinosaurs back. Didn't you learn anything though from Isabella Sermon's character? Uh, who's playing Maisley Lockwood, the little the clone? clone, the clone. No. Yes. Cause that's we get to the end of the movie. The dinosaurs are basically about to die of cyanide, uh, cyanide poisoning. It looks like it's a cyanide gas. It's some, to- it's some sort of poisonous gas. It's a poisonous gas. gas. Um, and they're about to let them die rather than let them out. And Owen convinces Claire or pushes Claire in the direction of not freeing the animals from the lab. Well, I think I mean, he just says, if, if you do this, there's no going back, which... It's up for debate. There's like 12 of them. Right. And they can't breed. And they all have trackers. So. Precisely. How difficult would it really be to track them all down? But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we get to that point. They both refuse to do it. And then Maisley walks up, hits it. And she's like, well, they're me too. And it's kind of like this whole, throughout this entire film, you get to know this little girl who loves dinosaurs, loves her grandfather, John Hammond's former partner. And you're like, okay, there's always a kid in Jurassic Park that has to get, you know, almost eaten by a dinosaur. Right. And this is, this is ours, but she, she is like adorable and pulls it off. You know, you're somewhat, you're not annoyed mm-hmm. by her or presence in the movie. We'll say that. And then you find out, oh, she's a clone. And you're like, genetic editing and reproduction is not limited to that ethical or unethical as it may be. And you're like, well, she's like a normal person by all accounts. Mm-hmm. And why do the, I mean, if you're going to save one species of animal, you may as well go for the dinosaurs. <laughs> Even if yes, they may eat you. I, I would be on, I would be pro dinosaur lives or whatever the movement would be called. If it was just to move them to a an- another yes. island. Yes. But like at the end of the day, like when it's like, okay, let them out to roam the roam North America oh. freely. <laughs> you, you have to let them die. Yes. Yes. There's no, there's Agreed. no way around that. Right. Because while you're letting those animals live, you are likely killing <laughs> thousands of people in the process. Right. I don't think anyone's, I don't think the dinosaur protection groups idea though, was to take that's, them off the fair. Island and move them to, downtown los angeles they didn't, I don't, they, they didn't, have, they didn't have a plan that was the thing 
Yeah, it didn't seem like well they, they wanted were, they Congress were like, to they do were like, something. Save them, save them. And, but like, what? Surprise! Congress <laughs> yeah, doesn't. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna try to fix a problem, present a solution. Uh, maybe that'll that'll actually yeah. help a little bit. You know, yeah, Claire doesn't really get her idea out there before Spall slides or whatever that dude's name is. Mills slides yeah. in and says, "We'll take him to this place," and then they take him back to his manor. Yep. Um, as far as the cloning that goes, you're cool with that. Of the kid? Yeah. I don't know if I'm cool with cloning human beings. I mean, you're cool with the idea of that being in this franchise? Yes. I think it's a natural extension. I just, it just felt, it felt out of left field for me. It was out of left field, but it, at the same time, it was kind of like, because it was, it was presented as a twist. Yeah. And I'm like, if this whole... Did you whole, have any theories of where it was going before it was revealed to be clone? No, I didn't. I don't think so. Like, even when she found the photo, I was like, she looks like her mom. Okay, we know that. He said that earlier. I was yeah. like, I don't get it. And then you found out, oh, okay. The dude was really upset about his daughter dying. Uh-huh. So he cloned her. I thought that they were going to go the way that this was Lex from the first from the first Jurassic Park. This oh. that, 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 that this was her daughter hmm. somehow. Yeah, or um, yes, because they're, they're very ambiguous about the mother. I'm like, oh my goodness, if you have killed well, like Ellie... If- Laura Dern's character yeah. from Jurassic Park. I am going to be so, so upset. Well, which one is it? Jurassic World Lost World? That, Lost or World. Jurassic Park Lost World that uh, that Ellie appears? Or is that the third one? She appears in the third one. Laura Dern's and in she's the got, And she has kids, right? And she has kids. And so I was like, it could have been her granddaughter? It could have been her daughter. Uh, one of her daughters. Ten years later. Yeah, yeah, that would have worked. Maybe. It would have worked. Um, I thought that's where it was headed to. But like, I, th- I feel like that would make that would have been a cooler twist to make it, even though I, I don't always love when fans are like, this is somebody you know. It's like, mm. like why did why did Lockwood and Hammond hate each other because of this decision? Like, cloning a human isn't a good decision. Like, it isn't the best decision, I guess. It's, it's mm. under, I guess it's understandable from Lockwood's perspective. Sure. But Hammond's used as like an unnecessary or a unethical progression of science, I guess. Yeah, it's, it, the, the the legacy twisting of um, Sir Richard Attenborough's John Habin is so weird. Yeah. Because at one time he's like, science, dinosaurs, ooh. And then he's like, he would have been very he would have been very angry that the dude cloned his daughter. Right. It's all, yeah, so I don't know. I don't like pop, posthumously messing with a character like yeah. that, um, which this movie does tons of yeah but i, I would have actually i would have because they they're like well did she ever or she, the little girls asked did my mom ever visit the island and he's like yeah one time and it's like weren't like wasn't jurassic park the only <laughs> time people visited that park yeah. it was there was the first expedition there right right it was their first customers. and it was and it was the <laughs> presumably the last yeah because of how terrible everything went right so i was like oh well, it can only be people that were on that island and i was like lex would be about the right age to in you know 30 years later mm-hmm. have a daughter that was you know roughly 10 years old yeah. I was like, i feel like that would have lined up and like the twist was that like but then that would have had to have made him like Hammond brothers because Lex is his granddaughter. Unless they were lying about that. Like, I don't know. There was, there's, there's a way you could retcon it yeah. more so. And I feel I like it would make it a little bit better than adding cloned humans to the mix. Now, I feel like it just adds an unnecessary complicated nature 
to this. We can just like, oh, uh, clone clone anybody or what, whatever. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's a thematic ad. Yeah, to but make I think, you make make you say, oh, if she's a clone and is good, we should let these clones. Yeah, these clones have rights too. I get what they're going for. I just to me that thematic thing, like it wasn't built up strong enough to be like, oh yeah, I understand why. Like she just learned she was a clone like twenty minutes before she hits that button. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a child, like eight to nine years old, probably how old that girl is. Yeah, 10. like. You got to, like, your mind would be racing for, I feel like, days to be, to understand what just happened. So she just, like, makes that decision so quickly. Um, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you. Last, I mean, kind of last thing I want to say is sure. the Indoraptor's death. I thought it was pretty dumb. Uh, yeah. It just falling on the Tyrannosaurus. as uh, horns with blue tumbling over it as they fall and then he obviously misses the horns right it's just like okay like i understand you have to kill it somehow these presumed ultimate killing machines are dying really easily and only yeah but only by other dinosaurs yeah um so whatever i mean that was fine you have to you do it like oh it happened i was like okay at least it was epic though the entire mood scene set up for it was Awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was into that. But yeah, um, I like the how the Indominus, Indominus went down because it was like, just like you do not see that massive whale of, I don't know what the, the whale. Oh, in the first movie. Dinosaur, yes. Yes. Indominus, yeah. So I, you did not, I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, when it jumps out there like that. Yeah, that was awesome. Here is like, Even though- isn't this supposed to be better than blue, but blue is able to. Right. Take it down. And even so. though that whale thing ate the Indominus Rex in the first movie, its skeleton is perfectly formed at the bottom of the pit <laughs> for yes. them to mine. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, it's it's if you think about that and the fact that they built they still built Isla Nubar or they built Jurassic World on a island with a volcano that would have you would have definitely been able to tell with no longer dormant. Um Yeah. yeah. It seemed like they went from Dormant to non-dormant in about a year. Even though they said, or no. Which is a very, I don't know much about volcanoes, but I feel like that's a very quick turnaround for it to be like, oh, this thing is exploding all of a sudden. And of course, the 30 minutes our character is actually on the island is when it just starts going crazy. It's like, (laughs) they don't barely make it off. It's it's literally, you are just missing the boat. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a tease at the very end of the movie and at the end of the credits that... The third movie is going to Las Vegas, I guess. Um, I mean, we we've already talked about in our big question a couple weeks ago. You know, is the Jurassic or is should the Jurassic Park franchise end or I don't know what exact is Running exactly called. Um, and we were both kind of like, yeah, there's a way for it to go, but you would have to do some drastic. You'd have to take some drastic steps, yeah. to the world as we know it. And it looks like it's going kind of in the direction at least I pitched, where it was just like get us to like a literal Jurassic world. Um, even though again, there's a limited number of dinosaurs that are actually out there at this point that can actually do something. Um, do you have any quick thoughts of what you want to see from Jurassic world three building off of this movie? Yeah. Um, so Vegas is actually a good setting. It's in the desert. You can't really, there's a lot of fun to be had, mm-hmm. you know, with dinosaurs raging through casinos. If that's where they all end up, which I don't know if they'll all end up there, but the idea of getting dinosaurs out into an open space, um, and, dealing damage minimally in those places 
is good and smart. Um, but you also have to pay consideration to the fact that whatever InGen, the, remen- the mm-hmm. remnants of InGen, are running around now with dozens and dozens of Indoraptor eggs. It, plus DNA from all the other types of dinosaurs. Plus DNA from all the other types of dinosaurs. So who's to say where Carmichael and Trevorrow were taking things next? Um, but something le- something a little bit more open range, but still summing up whatever this genetic alteration trilogy is mm-hmm. to be about is where I guess would have to go. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess this... Jurassic, the literal Jurassic world has been the end game, obviously, since Trevorrow took over. Um, he's kind of said, oh, we had to get, we had that, that point had to be the end game. We couldn't do it in less than three movies. And we couldn't do one movie and then jump there. I don't, tech, I don't fully agree. I feel like if you, there's a way to somehow combine the events of Jurassic world and fallen kingdom together to get us to a place where at the end, of that first movie, it's Jurassic World, and dinosaurs are out there, they're running around, and then the second movie is about trying to find a way to kind of round them all up, but mm. they're spreading, and then the third movie is ultimately about them finding some way to coexist or trap them in some yeah. place, um, but we'll, I mean, we'll see how this third movie wraps I'm up in ex- 2021. Yeah, I'm a curious, to say the least. So uh, that is all we have for our review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. We're back with the news, and as always, going to start with ticket or skip it. The premise of this segment is simple: we watch a trailer, and then, based on the trailer alone, we decide whether we would buy a ticket for this movie or skip it entirely. And this week, we got our first look at Creed Two, a very anticipated movie for me and Josh, yeah. and hopefully everybody on the planet. Because mm-hmm. if you saw the first Creed, there's no way you didn't like the movie, which means there's no way you're not excited to see what happens next for Donna's Creed. And this one is just a big ticket for me. I mean, uh, I was not skeptical, but th- I had some reservations about the sequel because it's not, Ryan Coogler is not as involved. He's just executive producing, so mm-hmm. he didn't have a hand in the script. He's not directing the movie. That is instead S- Stephen Cable Jr., who previously directed The Land, which I really enjoyed. On Hulu. Check it out. Yeah. About Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Um, so uh, right in our area, kind of. Um and I just really loved the way that it, this still felt like a Creed movie, which I wasn't necessarily afraid that it wasn't going to, but there was certainly was. there was certainly ways that it could have progressed other ways. And I mean, with uh, Sylvester Stallone writing the script um, and at one point going to direct the movie, there's certainly a case of well, oh boy, <laughs> where are we go- are we going down just like the end of the Rocky franchise road, mm-hmm. and that's why we're bringing back the Dragos and all this stuff. And instead, it's just like I think Stephen Cable Jr. is able to come in, hone it. Chael Hadari Coker, the showrunner of Luke Cage, helped write the script, uh, and it looks like both of them have helped keep. Ryan Coogler's voice very much intact. Um, I think Michael, Michael B. Jordan looks great. 
Uh, as usual in the role of Adonis, he looks even more jacked than he did in the first movie, which He's is saying something. Like five times. Uh, jacked, it's yeah. crazy. There's a baby Creed, which Aww. is so exciting. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it means that, that we at least have possibilities for creed seven to happen in like 30 years and it'll be great and then an older michael b jordan can assume the role of rocky or we can get an old milo ventimiglia from rocky five rocky balboa whichever one it is who plays uh the son of sylvester stallone that's right he can come in and be the be the (laughs) be the mentor and it'll be it'll be great um but I, i i just really like that this trailer kind of solidified that this is about legacy um like that the title card is saying like there's more to lose than just the title uh drago looks like he's going to be a very big threat whether that opening scene is of the multiple bruises and the lacerations that adonis has suffered is from the hands of drago or from a different fight or from just a a skirmish he had on the streets i don't know adonis is a hot temper but it just looks really exciting and i love the song choice mm-hmm. uh kendrick lamar's dna yes uh it was really great it was really Perfect. well edited uh, it just looks like exactly what i wanted it to be yes which is why i'm just very excited right now yeah i am i'm giving it a ticket too it it look the trailer looks exactly like creed will it feel like creed i don't know <laughs> but yeah. this trailer certainly felt like it Especially yeah, with DNA. Oh man, I it took. I watched it the first time and I was like, "It's a good trailer." Yeah, it and grows then, on you. And then I went to the theater. Yeah. before Jurassic World, and it played before. And as soon as it started up, I was like, "Oh yes, thank thank goodness!" And then it plays, and I'm like, "I'm here for this, man. I am so here for this." And you know, I was re- I was a reluctant goer to the first one. Um, I didn't know how it was gonna pan out, but I mean, I, I'm just I'm just so on board. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the fighting will be something to see as we yes. go because Kugler, I mean, Kugler still hasn't been outdone um, in the first Creed, but the scenes that we're getting so far, I know that's good. Those are the hardest to edit, mm-hmm. but there's a few shots of um, Adonis just getting smacked around. And yeah. It looks like it's going to be really good. So I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a thousand percent here for it. Um, like you said, baby Creed, it means Tessa Thompson hasn't gone far. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won't have to maybe endure as much like, Oh no, they broke up and Tessa Thompson uh, disappears for, you know, five fifths of the movie. It looks like she's going to be in it for quite a bit. Yes. Which is great. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah. And then how, how the story plays out still, <laughs> antsy because <laughs> I, I just don't know were you surprised that we didn't get uh Dolph we didn't actually see him we're going to see him we're, though right yeah we're going yeah. to see him but I was surprised that they didn't give us like the just like a shot of him being back the Russian like just nothing right it will be interesting to see though is if they play up Stallone and him at all oh they've, the they've got to like if, if, if there's like a you know a, a fox fight in the parking lot between the two <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably roll my eyes but um, we didn't see that, so I sh- I should have uh, freeze uh, freeze the trailer because there's that there's that that press conference at one point, and I believe it's for the Drago Creed Fright 2.0 or whatever version this would be at this point. Um, and they like get up and they're like start yelling at each other, and I would assume at least in typical fighting press conferences, the managers are there, so I would assume right. Stallone is there, and then I would assume. Ivan Drago is there as well with his son, but I can't confirm at this point. So I just thought about that idea. Um, I'm skimming through it and I don't see him. So okay, okay. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I guess um, there was one other point I wanted to make, but I can't. 
I lost it because I went on that other mention instead. Did you have something else you wanted to say? You just um, shook with excitement real quick. I'm just shaking with excitement. Uh, the arena, the final battle, it looks like stunning colors. Yes. Blue. The um, fire coming up as Drago yes. enters. I remember what I was going to say. Um, there we go. What is it? Jumping off of Kugler's fights in that first in the first movie, which were excellent. There is a very there's a lot more slow mo at least in the trailer. There's one shot of him getting his face pounded in. But even like the the training, like when he's just on the the punching bag, it's, yeah. it's in slow mo. Which I don't know if that's uh, just for a trailer effect or if that's actually how this is going to go in the actual movie. Um, for whatever reason, I'm interested to see how much slow mo is actually going to be. Use hopefully not that much in the actual fighting because I want to see it in action. But I liked how it looked at least. But I just want to see if that's a through line in the movie. If that's just uh, oh we, well we need to sync it up with the trailer music more. Yes. <laughs> so maybe let's slow it down. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's um, the colors are popping. Jordan looks terrific. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, we also got our first trailer for Welcome to Marwin. Robert oh, yeah. Robert Zemeckis's movie it comes out this fall, starring Steve Carell. Uh, Josh, what did you think of this oh, trailer? It's a it's a Looney Tune, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I hope I didn't copyright infringe there. But I'm somewhat okay with it being so ridiculously weird. Okay. Um, I like the character Steve Carell has as Mark Hogenkamp, an artist, miniature, uh, miniature set recreator. Uh-huh. That's kind of what the what I'm thinking he is. Um, he gets beat up by Nazis, and then it deeply affects how he does his work. Yeah. Um, and then it looks like him taking them to court, suing them kind of becomes like this epic journey that plays out mm-hmm. through his dolls who are also characters in his life that are helping him get through it. Um, but it's a murderous row of ladies outside yeah. of him. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a ticket. I mean, we've got Eliza Gonzalez who I haven't seen since baby driver. Mm-hmm. Excited for that. Diane Kruger, Leslie Mann, Gwendolyn Christie's in there, Janelle Monet. Yeah. Um, and then someone else who I can't remember was nope, but who cares? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Or at least to see how it works out. I don't know though, if it'll be hit or miss, but right. I'm going to give it a ticket. Okay. Because w- why not? My reaction watching this trailer was what is happening? Okay. <laughs> because I just wasn't what I was expecting at all. Like I was expecting like this November release date, Zemeckis, Steve Carell, Great ensemble, hard-hitting drama, and it was just like, this is like Walter Mitty, that Ben Stiller movie, mixed with Dinner for Schmucks, Steve Carell's (laughs) movie with Paul Rudd, and I was just like, I just don't know, and I feel like at this point I have to give, I have to say skip it, Okay, Um, just because it just, it was so different than what I was expecting, like, I I thought I was getting this hard-hitting Oscar potential drama, and instead it's like this kind of light-hearted movie with uh dolls and i was really excited to see the ensemble cast but that if some of the movies told through the perspective of dolls and cg how much i'm actually gonna be able to see of them and their performances that isn't like motion capture or something um and it's just like the moment in the courtroom it was like this is like legitimately like traumatizing stuff that crawl's going through Mm -hmm. but then it's like it just flips a switch and it goes into cartoon mode yeah and the dolls start flipping the tables and they're regular size and there's explosions I was like, I was like wait oh yeah it turns I was into like, a gunfight i was like what's happening here and so there's just like a weird mixture of tones that i don't think at least in this trailer worked for me 
Um, and maybe I, now that I've seen what Zemeckis is going for, a second trailer or something will sell me more on this movie. But right now, I I am not confident in seeing this movie and enjoying it. it has Leslie Mann though? I know. It's got. I mean, I love Isa Gonzalez and it looks like she crushes it. I would not be surprised everybody. if we say Leslie Mann is an Oscar contendy after after this movie. But maybe I'm just like riding high because I saw Blockers <laughs> oh, and I'm like, I, rem- I remember so how fantastic she is. Leslie so. Mann is fantastic. If you haven't seen Blockers yet, it's out on digital or DVD. It's not on DVD yet. Digital, yep. Digital. Go check out Blockers. It's fantastic. Then go read my review. It's on mm-hmm. friendsoffilm.wordpress.com. And then join me in the K Cannon campaign for Ocean's yes. 9. All on board that train. Absolutely. Um, then moving on to the actual news this week, there was uh, a disturbance in the force. This week, in terms of the Star Wars spinoffs, uh, a lot of... Multiple disturbances. Yes. <laughs> Millions. Well, there was disturbances, and then there were saviors, and then there's another disturbance, yeah. and then they were saved, and it just, it was a, a back and forth that was very hard to uh, keep track of. It's as if a million bloggers all cried <laughs> out with one voice, and then were suddenly exactly, silenced. Exactly, exactly. Um, so to run this all down here, Collider kicked it off in the middle of the week with this report saying that Lucasfilm had put all their spinoffs on hold following the reception of Solo, its box office performance and everything. And so Obi-Wan, Boba Fett, any other spinoffs were on hold. They're not going forward with production. Making Star Wars followed that up then by saying that Lucasfilm was developing a spinoff centered around the Mos Eisley space station, which uh, looked to be possibly the next spinoff because they said that was actually one in production or in pre-production that crew members were actually working on in some forms, um, which is weird because we hadn't heard anything about it yet and there's no director, writer, anything. Yeah. But the fact that it, it was so deep in pre-production um, would suggest that maybe there's been some secret movements behind the scenes in Lucasfilm that they haven't announced for whatever reason. Um, but whatever reason, if the Collider Report's true, that movie's also on hold for the time being. But then Lucasfilm told ABC, which should be noted, ABC is owned by Disney. Lucasfilm's owned by Disney. Yes. So some corporate synergy here. Mm-hmm. Lucasfilm told ABC that the spinoffs aren't dead and they have, quote, multiple films, end quote, in development, which will allow THR to then follow up and say that Lucasfilm is, quote, reassessing, end quote, their spinoff plans. And they are possibly going to look to reconfigure a bunch of projects in light of Solo's box office. So lots of things. Yes. What are your thoughts? Well, that's certainly a wild idea to center a film around the Mos Eisley spaceports. Now, listen, Han Solo would definitely show up. Like the Falcon would park, you know, at the spaceport once or twice. Boba Fett would pop up. Mm-hmm. It would be a who's who everybody. Right. I feel like it'd be the underground movie that, uh, what, what, what's the other younger cast in? Has been teasing John. John Kazan's been teasing. Yep, it certainly sounds like it. I mean, that's why he's been like, "Tell Lucasfilm you want more of these." Because <laughs> wink, wink, wink. I'm, 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 I'm writing supposed, the script I'm right to now. It. <laughs> yes. So uh, I, who knows? I mean, I'll take I'll take that as truth um, for what it is. So yeah, they were doing one, and they were going to have it basically be like a collision of all these um, bounty hunters, mm-hmm. and then it'll be like. Everyone walks, you know. Everyone walks into a bar, and it's sort of just the Mos Eisley scene protracted, where everyone shoots first. Yeah. You know, whatever the case is. Uh, but re- I, I don't know. It's hard to like. All of these reports are saying they're thinking about things, yeah. And that's kind of it. And it's like, well, duh. They I mean you could probably have 
just guess that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if we really needed concrete evidence, but the Mos Eisley thing is really interesting because I think it actually gives cues to Alden's three picture deal. Yeah. And what they may have been planning. Mm-hmm. Perhaps because if the Boba Fett movie was already in the works and this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was back in the works as early as 2014, 2015, right. when Josh Trank was supposed to do it. But um, Mangold's been on up. this for a while. Well,. Reportedly, he's Reportedly. not he's not officially signed on or anything. Correct, but he's been working with them, speaking yes. with them for a while now. And you can't help but wonder, Han Solo, Mos Eisley Spaceport, Boba Fett versus Han Solo. Yeah. And kind of build a, a really deep backstory for the two and their encounters in the original trilogy. So that's the only thing I can really think of, which is just as a look at the broader plans for Han Solo. Really, and they're like, "Oh, okay." People don't like the new Han. Let's think about this here. They don't like the new Han movie. They don't like the new Han movie. The, the Han movie was not received well at the box office. That's correct. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, what do you make of all this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. I don't really don't have. I mean, I'm an intense Star Wars fan. Yes. I don't have a an unbiased opinion. I'm looking <laughs> for the optimism here. Okay. Which I mean, there's no reason to think negatively because. I mean, not, not too negatively because we knew there were going to be changes. There right. were going to be directions, a shakeup. Um, what does this say to you? Yeah, as you Cooper mentioned, Hood. I mean, when you see Solo is going to maybe not even crack $400 million worldwide, and that's probably its budget, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, depending on considering how much they had to reshoot for this movie. Yeah, there's clearly going to be changes. Uh, they, there has to be. If Lucasfilm wasn't going to change anything in terms of anything, they're just like, nope. This doesn't change anything. We're going to move forward as scheduled. I'd be like, what What are you guys doing? Right. <laughs> like, clearly, something is wrong. Not just in terms of solo, but in terms of the multiple production problems you guys have had before. Um, there, something has to be done. So when Clyder said that they're putting all spinoffs on hold, I was like, okay, that's a bit reactionary to me to be like, all right, well, solo didn't hit, so now we're not doing any more. I was like, why... Why would you guys do that? Like, yeah. if you guys have James Mangold lined up for both of it, you have Ewan McGregor willing to come back and play Obi-Wan. Uh, why would you pass up possibly those two spinoffs that fans say what you want about them at this point in the Star Wars fan community? They really want those two movies mm-hmm. more than any other spinoffs, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so that seems a little weird to me. The most Eisley thing, I don't get that. Like, I mean, it, it clearly wouldn't be titled Most Eisley Space Station, a Star right. Wars story. It'd be titled smugglers or bounty hunters or something star wars um, underground and i can see i could see the appeal of it if it centered around new characters but if it's just like the all right well here's the pre a new hope round everybody that you guys know together movie i don't see that interesting i don't want to here's han and boba and jabba mm-hmm. together doing something it's like i don't care that right. we've seen how all this stuff plays out at the end it's, it's the same pitfall you guys fell into with solo where you're mm-hmm. just gonna over-explain things that nobody's even asked questions about. Um, so then, I mean, the Lucasfilm thing saying, oh, we, we have multiple films in development. Of, of course you do. You have a Ryan Johnson trilogy. You have a Benioff and Weiss series, which is probably like four films. Like, of course, you, that's seven movies right there you have in development. So, duh. Right. Like, And for the record, Collider didn't say you guys are canceling those movies. You're not doing them anymore. They said they're on hold. Mm-hmm. Even if a project is on hold, you can still develop it. Right. Um, it's just more like, all right, develop it on the back burner. So if it gets into a position where it's good, then we can move forward with it. Precisely. So to then lead it all up with THR's report, 
that they're reassessing the plans. I feel like it falls more aligned with what Collider is saying, just different terms mm-hmm. that, of, yeah, you have to reassess. The thing I liked about THR's report was that they said that they, especially with Boba Fett, that it could be reconfigured in some way, especially when it comes to the budget, because if Solo, if Han Solo can't make a movie open over $100 million, why in the world would they believe that Boba Fett could do better? Yeah. It, it's it's a ludicrous thought, I think, to have it. Yeah, of course Boba Fett can do better because people love him. Mm-hmm. S- some sections of Star Wars fans love him. Right. General populace probably doesn't have much interest in finding out how Boba Fett got his name or what he looks like now 20 years after Revenge of the Sith or whatever. Like, yeah. Just don't care. If anything, we've kind of learned Star Wars movies are ensemble pieces. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even Solo to a, a very big degree is an ensemble picture more than it is a solo solo movie yeah that's true um i mean rogue one i think that's what made that movie work really well is the chemistry between all of them um seeing new characters you don't know how it ends but the spoiler they all end they all die at the end of that movie and that's it and i don't want to see star wars just make spinoff movies that just have people die in them but if they're convinced on sticking with this time period then i guess they'd have to yeah but anyways i like the idea that Lucasfilm would go smaller budget with some of these movies instead of just being like, all right, you want to make a Jabba the Hutt movie? Here's $200 million. And it's like, well, this movie's not going to, this movie's not going to open to more than $70 million yeah. at yes. the domestic Preach. box office. So why would you put all this money into it? If you go, here's James Mangold, here's $70 million to make Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. I feel like he can make a great yeah. Boba Fett slash bounty hunter movie. Uh, that's, very low cost, and then that first weekend worldwide, even if it doesn't do a hundred million dollars uh, domestically, there's still a very real chance that that thing makes a that already it turns a profit after one weekend at most two, and that's a huge win for Star Wars because as we talked about in terms of like what happens after Solo now, I think it's there. It's very clear that yeah. not every Star Wars movie is a mm-hmm. $200 million opening weekend, $1 billion movie yeah. worldwide. That is unrealistic expectations to have if you're Lucasfilm, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're anybody. So to go smaller, even if it's a small movie in 100 to $120 million, which right. to certain degrees, which that's what Solo was mm-hmm. prior. It was a $125, $150 million budget movie, which then doubled its budget because of all the production problems. So Solo's box office wouldn't be as terrible if they didn't have all the production problems. So it's twofold. It's you do the smaller budgets, but then you have to figure out why you're having these problems on a consistent basis and fix that. Right. It's sort of like them figuring out their market for Mm -hmm. non-episode, highly focused... I hate to use this phrase and it's going to cringe for the fan movies. <laughs> oh, um, no. I mean, it's not that they're the fan make, remakes, not that they only care about them, but that they, it's a, it's detailing a part of someone's life, a small chapter of the mm-hmm. star Wars corner where you can play with some of the weirder things in star Wars or the more minute. Yeah. Aspects, because what's been stuck in my cross since we saw upgrade, and I was doing some reading about it before we did our review, was listening to how he kind of came across his script, whose director's name I can't remember. Uh, Lay Winnell. Yes, Winnell said that you know it was barely a million dollar movie. Is that mm-hmm. right? 
it was just over a million dollars or something like that. No, eight million. When it was actually made? Yeah. I think it was like 10. 10 million? Okay, yeah. Peels was the one. Yeah, Peels was like two. <laughs> Barely. Maybe like after it got its Oscar push noms or, for marketing? No, I'm, I'm just in terms of the actual budget of the movie. I think yeah. it was between two and five because it was like- I thought it was his, one. His sequel is going to be five times as much as his first, and it was $25 million is the budget of yeah, that's wild. <laughs> us. Okay, but um, point, point being- he had to limit his script. He didn't make the movie isn't ambitious or isn't incredibly ambitious because he didn't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if you gave James Mangold eighty million dollars, that affects a lot of things in the script. And if there's one problem with Solo that I'll that I can say doesn't get fixed in fan fan love is it is it just does way too many things. It goes too many places. Mm-hmm. And cutting that down, cutting the budget down, lowering expectations for the movie will increase credit critic response, I think, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, your overall profit margins. When you say, we did this Star Wars movie for $80 million with X director, but bam, wow, great movie for $80 million. Nice job. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good point. So then, I mean, tying into the what can they do to fix their recent production issues? Well, apparently, Lucasfilm and Disney's decision is um, not hiring young upcoming directors. So Star Wars Newsnet did their own reporting on all of the future of the spinoffs and stuff. And in their report, they said that Disney and Lucasfilm are done hiring up-and-coming directors. They're instead going to focus on hiring, quote, proven veterans, end quotes, uh, moving forward. Uh, is this... The correct decision to make? I don't... I, no, it's not the correct decision to make. And I don't know if I trust this from them. Okay. I'm just... I'm saying this warily. Because, number one, we all know Star Wars has a diversity problem in the director's chair. <laughs> number two, the only, quote, veteran directors really out there are now... Are white men. Are, are, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? That's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to get at. Unless you... Unless is call I mean Ryan Coogler is yeah, and probably Antoine Fuqua. Well, that's I mean that's the big question is what is a quote proven veteran? Right. <laughs> if it's Ron Howard, John Favreau, James Mangle, J.J. Abrams, if that's your mm-hmm. pool, if that's your example, then it is just more white men. It's not is is Patty Jenkins a quote proven director? Right. Is Ryan Coogler who's done a one major motion picture which has done a billion plus at the box office? The second highest growth. Second highest. Uh, MCU movie top five, top or five total for sure, of all time. Yeah, isn't it top five? No, no, no okay. it's, we'll it's go back uh, to the drawing board. It's top ten. It's top ten. I think it's okay. I think it's ten or nine, right? Or it's eleven. So I don't know. what is it's close? What is what does that mean? That's yeah. so that, ambiguous. That is my and, big question after and, this. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It makes maybe it says let's not take risks. Mm-hmm. Maybe we won't get a Phil Lord and Chris Miller type who haven't done a movie like that before yes but so i I don't yeah i just i don't know what to mean is it proven like they've made a studio by the book movie yeah if they made a 200 million dollar production i feel like that's what it means or that they've been around for 30 years Mm -hmm. and again again that's a very limited pool to pull from if you're lucasfilm which uh, as far as your, you don't know if this is accurate report. I've seen uh, other sites then come out and say, you know, like slash films, like why are people reporting on this? We've been saying this forever, and 
you know, other sites have said the same thing. It's like, we've been saying this forever in our columns or in our podcasts, but now it's being picked up because Star Wars Newsnet kind of put it out there in a bold focus in their article, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the case may be. This isn't just what Star Wars Newsnet is hearing. This is what apparently lots of different outlets are hearing. Well, Kathleen Kennedy said as much a year ago, two years ago right. at San Diego Comic-Con or yeah, Comic-Con? Was it Comic-Con? Uh, or D23 or something. D23. Like, yeah, we don't want to hire anybody that doesn't know what they're doing. I'm paraphrasing. Right. But, yeah, because she was... Uh, she was talking about talking female, about female directors. directors. And it was, it was it a very was, bad look. Yeah, it did not come across great. Um, I, th- that's the other takeaway for me, is that <laughs> we've, we, we've talked about it. I mean, there's been... When John Favreau's TV series announced, it was announced on International Women's Day. And they hired another white guy, and it's just it's 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 just constantly oh lacking diversity when it comes to who is behind the camera. Like I know J.J. Abrams and uh, Ava DuVernay kind of made a big deal that J.J. hired the first uh, female of color to be the assistant director or second unit second director, unit director. Um, for Episode Nine, which is great. But you're not giving, as far as we know, any of those types of people the shot at directing an actual movie. And if this is their mindset, then they won't do that. Um, and I think it's funny that this is where Lucasfilm has decided, oh, well, that's our problem. Uh, hiring Phil and Chris Miller, who did very successful movies in the Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, both animated, whatever, but there's two very successful movies as well as both of the Jump Street movies, very successful movies in their own right. Um, then uh, uh, Gareth Edwards, he was fresh off of Godzilla, a major motion picture, $160 million. Yes. It, it got mixed to positive reviews, uh, but it made money worldwide, mm-hmm. which is what they'd want. And even still, he had problems with the third act of Rogue One. They had to reshoot it and they had all that stuff. Um, and then with uh, Colin Trevorrow, he had indie movies and he just did Jurassic World right before they hired him, which was the biggest opening weekend movie of all time when they were hired. Yeah. So it's like you're, I feel like they're just contradicting themselves in terms of at least what a proven director is. If it's Ron Howard, if that is our, that is our motto moving forward now, mm-hmm. like we're getting Ron Howard types. Okay. If, yeah. But if, it doesn't inspire any sort of creativity or confidence that Star Wars is going to go beyond what it already is. Right. And which is what Star Wars needs to do if it's going to survive, because we can't just keep seeing the same type of movie over and over again. We have to get something different, and yeah. it's just funny to me that this is where D- Disney and Lucasfilm would decide to go with Star Wars, while Marvel Studios on the same lot is being like, hey, Taiko Titi, you just did Hunt for the Wilder People. Come in, direct Thor Ragnarok, uh, $160, million, $180 million movie, mm-hmm. blow the doors off the box office, uh, and move on to S- more things. Star it's, Wars is, yeah. It's crazy. Star Wars is ruled with an iron fist. I mean, it's been clear from, you know, the get-go. I mean, George Lucas has never had anyone tell him no when he did his movies. Um, seems like... For better or worse. For better or worse. Um, or at least definitely in the the three where he did all by himself. Yeah. He, here, it seems like they're kind of beginning to do this. I mean, I don't know. I, this, that's why I just don't know. I want to know the context of all these because mm-hmm. all the reports and all those things they're being said like, yeah, we always knew they weren't going to take a chance on one hit indie directors. That was pretty clear. Yeah, but I still early. think that's the wrong decision to make. But It's just, yeah, 
you know, there's like, only so many Christopher McQuarries out there, you know, and Doug Lyman's. Well, so and at the same time, you're going to run out of road real fast. There is a common uh, factor in all of these mishaps. It's not that you're hiring young directors. It's it, this is happening under Lucasfilm's watch. So something in their production, uh, their meetings, something I feel like is off if this keeps happening over and over again. That I mean, they, just once. they have. Rogue One, I think Rogue One, the problems of Rogue One aren't applicable to Solo. True, but there, I mean, there are those lesser reports of J.J. Abrams butting heads on Episode 7. He's obviously coming back for 9. Right. Uh, Trevorrow falling out. Like, there's, there just feel, to me, it's like there's something off in the process behind the scenes at Lucasfilm that is leading to continued roadblocks. Yeah. When I mean, it comes, it's, especially it's, with the spinoffs. Right. They're not a director driven studio they never will be these stories are cared for by ba- i mean basically the lucas family then, and then just and, stop which doing, is, then just stop doing spinoffs yeah, just just I suppose just go every other year with movies and have a johnson movie and then wait a year and then the next year i've been off and wise movie wait a year next installment of johnson's movie do it that way make it easier it's, and it's a different beast. less problems um, but that's why I'm just taking the, I'm taking this whole experience thing. Like did somebody actually say that recently or, you don't know, I don't know what to make of it. Um, uh, but let's move on to a more positive note of star Wars, Please. a rumor from Fanta tracks, which is a star Wars a site, plus name. uh, stated that Billy D Williams will return as Lando in stars episode nine. This is just a rumor for the time being. But speculation started a couple weeks ago when Billy D. Williams said at a convention that he started a new diet and workout regimen <laughs> to get into shape, <laughs> which immediately sparked speculation that he must be doing that for some reason. Yeah. Not just good health. It must be because he's coming back as Lando. Now there's a rumor about it that that's happening. Uh, it looks like that is, it sounds plausible. Is this the right move for JJ in episode nine? Oh, yeah, definitely. You want you, you need another hit of the nostalgia bong yeah and billy d williams is perfect for it i haven't seen the guy in an interview in a while i think it's been a little bit but he still is articulate and smooth as ever um as long as he's got he gets to carry around his cane that he was rocking at the solo premiere i i'm so here for it yeah i mean yeah cool billy, d, billy d's back yeah okay uh <laughs> doesn't swing me really like over the moon about episode nine i mean i am just because of where this story is going and the people right. that are involved with it. But, but Billy D is not just like the, all right, well I was, I was pretty excited, but now I'm, now I'm really excited. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, cool. You'll be a fun ad. This was, this was kind of expected. I feel like him that, and wedge Antilles. That's all I really well, want. We'll see about that one. And a double bladed Ray lightsaber. Uh, yes, that is a must. Please. Uh, we're going to do a, what we need from episode nine, big question eventually. And that is definitely going to be <laughs> number one on my For list. Sure. Um, but moving on then to some Marvel stuff, uh, real quick, Black Widow, uh, according to Deadline, has a shortlist for directors with the top three being Kate Shortland, Ama Asante, and Maggie Betts. Uh, Kate Shortland most recently did a movie that I'm now blanking on. The Lore name. Berlin Syndrome. Berlin Syndrome, yeah. yes. And then um, Ama Asante did a United Kingdom, as well as uh, Belle starring uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra a couple years ago. And then Maggie Betts just did a movie called, uh, I just had it in my mind. I really should do better notes. That's really what I'm learning at this moment. <laughs> um, it starts with an I. 
and I don't know. But anyway, those are the three ladies that are top contenders for Black Widow at this point. We'll see if any other names join the list. Josh, are you familiar with any of these female directors? Not a one. So I'm at a loss here. Okay. But they're all female directors, and Marvel yeah. hasn't had a sole one of those yet. It's true. Of course. I mean, um, there's Captain Marvel's. Yeah, has Anna Bowden. Right. But that's co-director. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where that goes. But Black Widow is happening. Yes. It'll be in the next phase. I mean, you don't hire directors for movies 10 years away. No, this is probably a 2020 movie. There you have it. And there's three a year. So they're going to mm-hmm. come. It's going to come fast. Yeah. I mean, by this time next year, we have set photos. Oh, yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, there you have it. Yeah. Um, I, too, don't have any familiarity with any of these directors. Uh, the movie I was looking for was Novitat, Novitiete? I don't know. I don't, Noviace? Um, I don't know. It's a nun movie that stars uh, Melissa Leo and... Um, somebody else who I can't remember the name of but either case uh, at least in doing the research for these directors I feel like Kate Shortland she was the first name to come out and the other two Asante and Betts have been in the rumor mill for a lot the last couple of months as being one of the or two of the 65 directors that met for the project so far Um, but I feel like Kate Shortland at least on paper makes sense um, because in looking at her movies they're about like identity or like her movie Berlin syndrome is about a girl who gets locked away in a, a room and has to basically escape and find a way to get out of there. Um, then she did a movie about like a girl on the run, which would line up with if this movie set right after she uh, black widow leaves Hydra, she's going to mm-hmm. be on run before she gets shield. It feels like she at least has the story points to this point yeah. that line up with where I believe black widow is heading. But if it's Amasante um, or Maggie Betts, great. I need to check out more of their filmographies. But I've been binge watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, yes. as well at which I finished, and it's excellent. And then I had to start watching Luke Cage season two, uh, which I'm an episode, which I just have the finale to watch now. But I'm gonna get a look at them. I'll report back, okay, eventually. Um, if, see what they are. If Kate Shortland is the like front runner, mm-hmm. they're definitely picking someone with some intense style yeah um berlin just looking through some stills from berlin syndrome uh immaculate shadows everywhere grays yeah oh yeah so um that's pretty sweet yeah um so we'll move on to dc really quick before we jump back to marvel uh forbes writer mark hughes shared rumor this week on the superhero movie show that if the joking phoenix solo joker movie is a success that it is possible that Matt Reeves' Batman movie will be retrofitted to exist in that universe. Is that the right move for Warner Brothers to possibly make, or would you rather see Matt Reeves and his young Batman somehow exist in the DCEU? Mm, I think, or just totally separate altogether? I think altogether? this is the right move, the more and more I think about it. Because you can get your, um, I mean... I don't know, depending on when this movie starts production, Timothy Chalamet may be old enough to be, you know, the young Batman. Who knows? But keeping that separate. That's a really young Batman. It's a really young Batman. And a really old Joker for him to go against. Eventually, Timothy Chalamet will be Batman. Um, But the the idea, like, here is 
you keep these two people separate. You keep it in the, the sounds like in a more grounded mm-hmm. area it's for in the this. DC dark uh, label, yes, possibly. Absolutely. Then you let Ben Affleck be the kitschy Batman. Well, if and, he doesn't want to be a Batman. <laughs> or if he doesn't want to be Batman, then who cares? You can just replace him with somebody. But if you keep those two separate, I think it's a genius idea. You really do. Because then you can just play with the things over here in that world, and you don't even have to worry about continuity with Matt Reeves. He can do any and everything he wants. And then the Joker can totally exist outside of whatever Leto's doing. Mm-hmm. No worries. And DC can just basically run a Fox Studios like, you know, universe with their characters. Because, um, you know, for better or worse, I've really liked the X Men movie approach of we're just letting you do whatever. <laughs> Seemingly, anyway. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if they were actually doing that, we would have already seen and reviewed <laughs> New, Mutants. New Mutants, but that's uh, not the case. But I, I'm here for it. I love it. I think it's great. It's a good idea. I, I, just, I don't know about this one. This just no. This just feels weird to me. That like, why would why would they do this? Um, because if they're already going the young Batman route, then this would be a prequel. Mary's movie would be a prequel to anything that's happened already in the DCEU, other than Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. So he'd already be free of continuity, other than just the fact that you can't kill Batman, True. which is never going to happen on the mm-hmm. big screen. Um, it, it's just a fact. So. I don't understand why they would need to do this. And if this is the case, does this potentially hinder development even further for Matt Reeves' movie? If they're, cause if they're waiting to see, well, what universe is going to fall into that depends on how good joking Phoenix's joking movie is. Then that movie doesn't start filming until September and it's not going to hit theaters till like next fall. Probably there's not a release date. It's currently set for it, but I would assume that's when it would come out. Mm-hmm. That means we're still a year and a couple months away from knowing how Joker's received, they could think it's going to be great. They gave Batman v Superman a standing ovation when they saw it. And <laughs> that, then, then the rest of the world saw it and uh, it changed the course of DCEU. So I just, I just don't know. Um, if it was me, I would, if I'm DC, if I'm Walter Hamada, you do what you have to, to keep Matt Reeves at this point. But if it's just kind of waffling and be like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to do this. Make a decision, stick to it. Um, just give us a Batman movie already. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, it wouldn't take much. I mean, would just, you'd have to be like, Matt, in your second script, uh, put the uh, put the, uh, put the the Joker in it. Oh, you want it like right away. Oh, you mean like second movie script? Yes, okay. correct. Okay. Not his second pass. I was like, Jesus. Walter Hamada is also Italian now. <laughs> hey. So, uh, but you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take, it wouldn't, I don't think it would hinder development now, but later we could be like, Oh, maybe that's a little rushed for the yeah. Joker showing up right here 20 years later. Well, and we're in, if depending on how young they go, we're in the Gotham situation where like it'd <laughs> yeah. be a, it'd be a, it'd be a 25 year old Batman fighting a 50 something year old Joker. And it's like, that's not interesting. Um, but whatever, uh, moving on then to the Sony Spider-Man spinoff universe, the yes. rap reported this week that they are developing a movie centered around the Korean American superhero, Cindy moon, AKA silk. Uh, there's currently no writer, director, star, or release date. So this is kind of just an idea that Sony has to potentially flesh out their Spider-Man spinoff universe. That includes Venom, which is in theaters this October, um, as well as Silver and Black, Morbius, um, 
there were talks of a Craven solo movie, which probably aren't happening. Um, and there was the Night Watch movie with uh, Spike Lee possibly directing. Yep. Um, is this a? Are you interested in a Silk spinoff movie in this semi spinoff universe, or would you rather them just kind of wait and let Silk be brought into the MCU in some form? Because she already is technically cast in the MCU. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the actress's name, but Cindy Moon is in Spider-Man Homecoming. What? As one of the classmates. Well, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I, I love Spider-Man. I love the Spider-Man world. Mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about it, but I've gotten a feel for the characters over reading comics. Yeah. It's haphazardly. <laughs> and I am a thousand percent here for it. The more Spider-Man connected movies, the better. And I would so be here for this. I mean, I'd yeah. I think it. I think it's a smart move for Sony to make. Um, getting a Korean American superhero to the big screen would be the first time, uh, especially in the leading capacity, a female one, especially at that, makes sense from a business perspective. But Silk is a. I don't even know what level character she is in terms of public knowledge. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to, I think you'd have to sell it in a way that like, yes, this is connected to Spider-Man for people to be like, to understand what yeah. it is other than just being like, Oh, it's, it's a superhero movie, I guess. Um, I, I just don't know. I would personally just rather them wait and maybe Kevin Feige pulls a couple of strings and basically deads the project eventually like maybe he's doing it with silver and black i don't know but that project just can't move forward it seems like um so i would i would much rather see uh silk just kind of wait and then you know in spider-man 3 or spider-man 4 or a champions movie or whatever marvel wants to do they bring silk in in that capacity because she basically has the same origin as spider-man she's bitten by another uh radioactive spider basically at the same time they're and, everywhere uh It'd be it'd be fun to see that kind of play out in a different way, different twist on Peter Parker's origin, basically, but with a female perspective. Um, Tiffany Espeson. Yes. Um, so I want I want I, I, I would rather them go that route than giving a solo movie to a completely different person that's maybe connected to Venom, maybe not. <laughs> True. Maybe connected to MCU, maybe not. We don't yeah. know. I, if they follow, if they just wove it in naturally to the Homecoming with either standalone or in homecoming two or three and then moved out from there. It will work great too. Yeah. Um, I just I mean, like Spider-Man. She'll probably just, if I had to put money on it, she'd probably, she'll probably throw, show up in a, uh, into the spider verse this December. Ooh, there um, we go. Just cause why, why not? If they're going to have, yeah. Uh, spider Gwen and you know, spider ham, if he pops up and all these other Spider-Men, <clears throat> why not get stuck in there too? Do you wonder if some of these films that are getting talked about at Sony, or animated versus oh, that's a good live action. Because sometimes I think that I'm like, how many of these ideas are going to turn out to be that's animated films versus that is a good question. Yeah. I, I mean, I just something ass- to I, think about. I just assume all the time that it Same is here. always live action. But then um, I remind myself they have basically the property, not the property rights. They have the IP for the new that very distinct awesome animation style so maybe they're looking to put it to use somewhere yeah and i was the the only thing i was thinking of is when silk at least in the rap report they listed amy pascal as a producer on the projects so i was like mm-hmm. oh is she producing 
just live action movies. She produced anime movies. She is producing Venom, obviously, but she's also produced her on Spider the in, into the Spider Verse. So maybe, maybe it could, I mean, I don't remember seeing anything specific of their live action takes, but a Spike Lee anime movie would be pretty cool, I think, uh, especially the same sort of technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be personally. I think that'd be a great way for Sony to go if they want to keep using Spider-Man IP, but Marvel's like, no, stop <laughs> trying to ruin our continuity. <laughs> right. Uh, Go, go the animated route and really flesh out these characters that Marvel's using. Like, hey, thanks for introducing Silk to the main audience and making mm-hmm. $500 million worldwide. Now we're going to bring her into Homecoming 3 yeah. and give her a, a bigger role. That'd be, that'd be a great way to do it. Um, last story of the day here. We got a report from The Hollywood Reporter that Andrew Dodge is going to write the next script for the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, it's a little unclear, though, about what the status of the sexual movie is because... They say this is going to reboot the franchise, but they don't necessarily clarify if this is still a continuation of the recent two movies because uh, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes and the same producers, they are still involved with this quote-unquote reboot. So I don't know if this is like just a soft reboot where this is the third movie and it's still the first two are technically canon, but it's a different tone. I don't know how much you can really go differently yeah, than the last two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Um, do you need another one? Did you see the other two? What are your thoughts on this to wrap it up? The first two, the first two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle live action movies are some of the finest filmmaking of the 80s. Oh, like the OGs. The OGs. The ninja fighters or the ninja dudes in the costumes that are so kitschy, but... Uh, you know, you're just here for. I'm here for it. Some of the greatest. Some, I think it's some of the greatest movies that I've loved as a kid. That like I still watch today. And, really? Like you know, unironically, because okay. it's just like I want to watch it. I'm going to laugh the whole way through, and then be there for it. So if they, I would love to see them try to bring back sort of that kitschiness to the movies in some kind of way. They don't need to go adult because it's still for kids, mm-hmm. but if they bring it towards that more towards physical costumes in some kind of way. So you want them to continue the ones from before? I need them to just write off the out of the shadows, TMNT, Michael Bay. Uh These are alien turtles movies (laughs) or whatever he tried to do with those. Um, Something like that. Right. But if they did that, I would be so here for it. Because, I mean, I didn't really watch the other two. I watched them sporadically, like, you know, hits and bits and pieces when they're on TV or whatever yeah. the case is. And just didn't look engaging at all. So if they can just get back to New York City, pizza, and sometimes kung fu, let's do it. I'm here for it. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, the most recent movies are fine, I guess, you would, I, guess I would say. Uh, they're nothing special. The second one I saw and laughed my head off the whole time because it was just so ridiculous. But uh, it's one of those like, okay, I really enjoyed myself in the theater, but it's probably not a good movie, but I still <laughs> I still liked it because yeah. I was having a dumb time with it. Um, so having another movie come along is, is fine. I don't I don't really care at this point about another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And if it's the same creative team involved, just a different writer, I'm not really sure how different you can actually make these movies than what they already are unless you twist it on its head and you go more serious um because these the most recent live action cgi ones are pretty cartoony and kid friendly so unless you 
go a different direction. I don't know how you can really reboot this in any real way, but that's up for Andrew Dodge and the creative team behind it to decide. I'll be waiting here to see whether or not I actually care <laughs> once this uh, starts getting some actual Fair traction. Enough. So uh, that is all we have for the news this week, which brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a review of Sicario, Day of the Soldado, the hotly anticipated sequel to Cigar- Sicario, originally directed by Danny Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. This one is directed by a different man in something Salima, Andre Salima, um... I really just need to have my yes. IMDb open more. <laughs> this is just this is a bad podcast. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, but either way, I'm excited for Sicario de Soldado. It's Del Toro. It is Brolin back, possibly versus each other, it looks like, in the trailers. So I'm all in. Yes, it's Stefano Solima. There we go. Um, yeah, there's good word of mouth. There's a good tweet. There's some tweets out there that are good about this movie. I don't which think is, we've which had, is rare to say there are good tweets. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we've had a review embargo lift yet. Don't take that uh, for a grain of salt. Because actually, it, I think, I think it has, it has lifted. Okay. So. Um, that's a good sign. Yes. When it comes out, that's uh, Josh Dickey's at least the theory about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I take it, but yeah, it looks like two of the best action heroes that we have on screen right now outside of the MCU, but then again, right. they're both in, you <laughs> they know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Both so great in it. They, the story is supposedly on par with some of Sheridan stuff, but it's obvious that... Sheridan wrote the script for it. Correct. But it's obvious that it's not being directed by Villeneuve. But, I mean, there's some pretty sweet stuff, there at are? least in those trailers. So we will see. Um, I keep thinking about his adios, but I overplay, I, you know, I overlay it with bleep, blappity, bloop from Star <laughs> Wars. Okay. Um, so we will see. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I love the first one. The mm-hmm. second one um, looks seems to be as good. But it looks like it'll be knows. the Creed two of Creed. Yes, can <laughs> it be? It's, it's the same. It's can the same there sort be of carryover thing. of something that was just so excellent the yes. first time? Uh, yeah. So I'm very excited about it. We'll also be back this week with another big question in a couple of days with our recurring guest Amanda Morris. Joining the pod booth, if you can call it that, if that's what we're recording. In the studio. In the studio. Make us sound official. Uh, talking about Star Wars. Shocker. Um, talking about Star Wars and the state of fandom and everything kind of happening with the Star Wars universe right now. So that'll be a fun discussion to have. Be sure to listen to that on Wednesday or Thursday whenever you get around to it. Just or make sure to listen to it. Late Tuesday night. Or yeah, if you're subscribed, which oh, if you haven't already, wait. be sure to do that and then share, retweet this episode and everything you do. And while you're subscribing to us on iTunes, be sure to leave us a five-star view um, because it helps people find the show. And if you're lucky sometimes, like Raging Cajun was this week, you'll win a digital copy of a movie because we just want to help be kind to you guys because being kind to us and helping us out in some way. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts everything covered by tweeting us at Friends of Film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast, Josh. Maybe we'll give away Den of Thieves next. Ooh. And be sure to turn next week to find out more as well as our review of Sicario, Day of the Soldado. <laughs> <laughs>